passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 243 post show. I'm John Pollock, along with the professional Phil Chairtalk, who is here on the show. And, you know, this is only a podcast, so no one can see where Phil is broadcasting from. But, I mean, you could pretty much just put up uh, a, a satellite and just beam out to the world because you are in a professional the professional Phil studio now. I, I, I am in a room where the walls are infinitely spaced away from me on all sides. Well, you have, you have done some upgrades, I understand. And, you know, you are sounding crystal clear. And everyone is, they feel like crystal right next, clear, next oh, hanging like a chandelier. It took uh, two minutes. <laughs> Phil singing tonight. Well, there there is lots to uh, come out of this UFC 243 card, which is a show that I kind of had the same opinion going in uh, as I do coming out of it, that all of my attention was on the main event. Uh, this was not a card that had a ton of depth to it. And uh, even, even if Holly Holm had not gotten hurt, I think that this was a card that really, you know, you have to really be be. Uh, digging for a lot of interesting angles and stories on this particular card. But the main event was so great going into it. I was so excited for this fight, Phil. And to me, I knew I was, I was essentially buying a $65 fight and whatever else was on this card. Great. But I was here for the main event. And I, I think that's what everyone was here for on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. I felt the same way. This was a really exciting fight when it materialized, uh, uh, after Israel Adesanya's interim championship win earlier this year, um, I had a friend over who's uh, he watches a fair bit of MMA, um, but he I wouldn't say he's as hardcore of a fan as either of us. And he was he had the same sentiment. I mean, he was he was actually really interested in Tai Tiavasa of all things. <laughs> okay. But yeah, but uh, yeah, he was so he was he ended up disappointed a little bit there. I but he yeah, stuck around for the main event. He, <laughs> he, he did. <laughs> no, he was okay. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, this, this title fight is a really marquee. It, it was and is a, a really marquee fight. And of course, the story of Israel Adesanya emerging as this new star in UFC is a really exciting story. And, and Robert Whitaker is such an amazing fighter as well. Um, he's established that leading up to this championship. It just made for on paper what seemed like what would be an incredible fight. Yeah, so the card took place from Marvel Stadium, which was the former uh, Idiad Stadium, where UFC 193 took place. That, of course, featured Holly Holm knocking out Ronda Rousey four years ago, and they return here. And, you know, not all that unlike UFC 193, which was a card that uh, – it did have two championship fights that night. That had uh, Joanna Janjacek and Valerie Letourneau, but it was – realistically, it was one fight that was the big fight on that card, and – 
the same here. And they drew a tremendous audience. And it was interesting because earlier in the week, there were reports out that, you know, tickets are like stalled around 40,000. And then tonight they announced 57,000 plus. So I think some people were suspicious of that number or uh, how many of those tickets were purchased. But nonetheless, uh, you know, if they sold 40,000 tickets, bare minimum, that's that's a fantastic number in and of itself. And this was a very cool atmosphere for, you know, anytime they're in a stadium and you have this level of uh, engagement from your live crowd. Yeah, the they really seized on the opportunity here. They had uh, two fighters from that uh, part of the world. They weren't scheduled to go there. They knew it was going to be a, a huge event. Um, I seriously doubt it actually is you know the most tickets sold in ufc history but regardless it was a definitely a big success the crowd was electric for it and it was maybe, a really cool atmosphere we learned from wwe and realize wait we can say any number it doesn't we can just say i anything. sure yeah like who's who who's the authority on on this right like well in theory the commission so um okay you know they it, it could have been that number of bodies are in there uh that well that's what i thought that's what i was thinking is like okay yeah they papered the crowd because i mean yeah the the sales this week were not close to what they announced so did you feel going into this how how optimistic were you that this main event when it was announced would take place that there wouldn't be uh, an injury that there wouldn't be some problem because i was I was hesitant. I didn't want to jinx it. But this was, you know, Robert Whitaker has not fought since June of last year. And Israel Adesanya, on the other hand, has been the complete opposite. This guy has been uh, completely active this year, fighting Anderson Silva, having what is still my fight of the year with Calvin Gastelum in April. Um, but yeah, uh, were there concerns on your end about Robert Whitaker? And could you have imagined if something happened to this main event? Because there, you would have had to cancel this show. There's no way this could have gone on with ally quinton dan hooker i agree they would have had to cancel it i was i i wasn't necessarily more concerned than i am for any ufc like big main event because i've been conditioned to anticipate the potential you know disaster you know the ken shamrock cut hours before the kimbo slice fight which the, the the anniversary was this week of that fight. oh lead xc october the 4th 2008 was the uh the failed kimbo slice ken shamrock fight where seth petrozelli stepped in uh, the most wackiest night of mma i've ever watched i mean seth petrozelli would argue that it was a fail john well, that was. Do you remember that card, Phil? And that I do. I I watched. I watched it. I remember. I was excited for that fight. I was like, yeah, um, yeah. I wanted to see it, and I I didn't even understand. Like it was so confusing because you because the story broke on the broadcast. I think. Like I don't remember it being announced anywhere online. So it's like you're like, what? He's what? Yeah. Who? Who's I fighting? Like, I think that was like very, very early in Ariel Hawani's career. And I think he got something out like late in the afternoon or something like that. But I would imagine pretty much any, everyone was tuning in that night on that broadcast, assuming they were getting Kimbo Slice and Ken Shamrock and this insane story. And then after the fact, the all the potential options of what they were going to do. And then Seth Petrozelli wins. And you had some people thinking, well, 
now Seth Petrozelli, he's beaten Kimbo Slice. He's going to be this big star. It's like that. That's not how this, this industry works. And that was evident in 2008. And I think people learn from that. And there, and conversely, the idea that well, Kimbo Slice was exposed. No one will care about this guy. And people still cared about him fighting many years after that fight as well. But it's a very, very interesting card to go. That entire promotion is an interesting promotion to go back and study. Which and that was its final card that night. Yeah, it was it was a crazy time. What was the nickname that uh the Shaw kid had? Scala. 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 Like scholar, right? Not like Scala with like a dollar sign. Like he's gonna school me on the on the on the business. Oh, I can't remember um <laughs> I'm trying to remember what like Scala like stood for something too, and I recently just heard. Oh, like it was an acronym. I think so, and oh. I, I did not. I was not aware of this until. Uh, are, are you familiar with uh, Esther and Casey from yes. Fighting.com? They shot a pilot of a reality show with this guy that has never seen the light of day. But I, have, I have heard about this. I listened to that. Uh, that the Ariel interviewed them about this okay, topic. In, yes, in that interview that I okay. think Casey. It explains where the name comes from of Skull. Oh, okay. I remember just howling when I heard it, but I, it's, it's too late. I can't remember right now, but I very, uh, of the things I want to see in MMA history, that reality show is up there. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I, I yes, there should be a, like some type of like silent auction for that. Well, let's get into this card. Uh, we started out on Fight Pass and hey, we got new graphics, brand new graphics package on this, and people were uh, were losing their minds over this. Did you have a strong feeling, yay or nay, on the new graphics package, Phil? Uh, so the graphics package was kind of like they lifted the. I originally saw this idea actually on WWE programming, okay. where they where they have it's like what they'll do is they take the graphic and they have a camera move. And the graphic is a 3D graphic overlaid. And as the camera is moving, the graphic is moving. So it looks like this 3D graphic is actually in the arena. And, uh, yeah, it, yeah, they, WWE, you're right, does, uh, does this, uh, now quite frequently. Yeah. And, uh, when I first saw it on WWE, I thought it was amazing. And then this year, I've seen that the NFL has started to do it as well. Uh, at least one of the broadcasters. I, I can't tell you which one. And so it, it was sort of inevitable until the UFC did it. Um, the UFC, it, it, it had some interesting aesthetics with it, like the design, the camera was going through the graphics. It was cool in concept. The execution was a little weak, I thought. It, the graphics looked like graphics at times. Like they looked pixelated on some of the camera moves and and like – like it looked like a video game. So I, the idea is there. I think they just need to touch it up a little bit. We started off on a fight pass. We're just going to run through these uh, rather quickly. Up first, we had Halid Taha taking on Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva was accompanied by Henry Cejudo, who was there in his corner. Uh, I thought they split the first two rounds. We should also mention that uh, Halid Taha missed weight. He came in at 137 pounds, so he was uh, – he lost 20% of his purse. Uh, we go to the third round and Silva took him down with a body lock. And this was after utilizing his, uh, takedowns in the second round to even things up. Silva then 
shoots and eats these elbows and ground and pound and Taha has his back and is attacking with strikes and then Taha goes for the arm triangle and taps out Bruno Silva at three minutes of the third round uh, to win this uh, bantamweight fight. Yes. Correct. <laughs> this was a fight that it was a it was a pretty good fight. I mean, it was a good submission for uh, yeah. For Tyler I mean, at the end. I mean, I felt bad for him because he got blasted in the nuts twice. Yeah, in the that happened first, in the first round. round. It was yeah one, and then immediately he got hit a second time, and and that, no point and deduction. It, yeah, and then Silva was sort of just like really, I don't know, the way he was really in his face. And like it looked like Silva was gonna take this fight because he sort of got that takedown in the second round and was able to control the position. And yeah, kind of had a feeling he was gonna do that in the third. So uh, it it was good on Taha to to get the win after suffering for through those those sh- nut shots and then you know coming back after spending all of his time on bottom in the second round. So it was impressive in that regard. But you gotta make weight, buddy. We failed to mention off the top, we've got John Anik and Daniel Cormier on commentary. Joe Rogan not flying to Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't do the international shows other than Canada. I guess that's not international for him. And uh, uh, I didn't think that the, the announcing team was lacking anything. I thought they did a good job. No, they were they were fine. The the two of them. I think you're you're used to having Rogan as the third man here, but I I enjoyed these two throughout the night. Very uh, obviously, these two have very good very good rapport with one another. Uh, Nadia uh, Kasim took on Ji Yeon Kim. This was a flyweight fight, or at least it was supposed to be, because Kim missed weight 128 pounds, so she missed by a wide margin. Uh, and this was her second fight in a row that she has missed weight uh, because her last fight was against Antonina Shevchenko. She also missed weight for that one last November. So unfortunate situation here because uh, Kasim has to, you know, accept this fight and is going in with the larger woman, which Kim was. And Kim is attacking her in the first round. Her strikes are clearly a difference maker here, although Kasim was able to use these overhooks to take her down. Uh Rather close round, I gave it to Kim, and then in the second, it's Kim, more strikes with her jabs, uppercuts in the clinch, and then Kim knocks her mouthpiece out uh, right as she's landing this flurry, and the referee, Jim Perdios, steps in to insert the mouthpiece into Kasim's mouth right as she's getting lit up with these strikes. It was a terrible time to be reinserting this mouth guard, and then it got knocked out a second time, and... So Kim is just unloading with her with all these strikes and it's just strike after strike and Kasim looks like she's done but the referee is giving a lot of latitude towards her and it's these body shots that finally put her down and the fight is called with one second to go in the second round. So Jiyeon Kim wins the fight by TKO and improves to 9-2-2 two, and two, but with the asterisk here that she misses weight uh, for the second straight fight so maybe – Flyweight is not her weight class that she should be in. Maybe maybe bantamweight is more realistic for her. Yeah, um, you missing by uh, what is it? Two pounds, I guess. Three pounds from the championship weight, yeah. uh, and twice in a row. You, yeah, you need to you need to start making weight. I mean, we just mentioned that in the previous fight. Um, 
outside of that, though, it was a pretty good performance. She was very stoic. She doesn't have any emotions, it seems, like when she's fighting. Only after the fight, she has lots of emotions. Um, but her striking, it was, it was very technical. She, she didn't have a lot of speed, but she had good timing and she kept, her range just kept getting better and better throughout the fight. And the small advantage that she had in the striking kept adding up and, uh, Kasim couldn't, uh, keep up. And that, uh, mouthpiece moment was just atrocious the the ref should have not have stepped in in that situation at all and uh thankfully it went the right way anyway but horrible horrible yeah just like it's just it's drilled into you it's like a natural break in the action and this was anything but and it was so close like she was close to maybe finishing her in that moment oh like it it was unloading on on kasim at that moment with her back against the cage like you could not like other than being mounted i don't know if you could come up with like a better uh or worse scenario to be Mm -hmm. in here and and totally uh or at least pausing the momentum kim just pretty much went right back to her striking but i mean it was right down to the wire here that the stoppage uh, occurred and this referee you know i i could have been fine if this fight had been stopped earlier than it did because she took a lot of damage in these final 30 seconds Megan Anderson versus Zara Farron at Featherweight. Uh, Anderson hasn't had a, a great start to her UFC career. She was one and two in the promotion coming into this and got upset by Felicia Spencer back in May. And here she is returning to her home country of Australia. And she made pretty quick work of Farron. She was clinching with her early on and took Farron down and mounted her. She was delivering elbows. And then this is very impressive. Farron was able to reverse out of mount and get on top of Anderson. Unfortunately, she went right into a triangle by getting on top and was shifted over as uh, as Anderson shifted her hips and got the submission at 357 of the first round. And Anderson was very emotional afterwards getting this victory. And in such a shallow division that the women's featherweight division is, this was a... This is a big win for Anderson because losing this one, this would have been really bad for her career if she was off that, you know, this being her third loss in the UFC in this division. Oh, absolutely. And, and not just the third loss, but I so had not heard again. Relative. Very <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, no, no offense to this, uh, competitor, but I'd never heard of her. I, I, I don't think you've ever heard of her before this event. And, uh, but yeah, a good win for Megan Anderson. She needed it. Tough losses. I mean, you know, stiff competition, but you, you can't be 0 3 in the UFC. Um, but so it's a big win. And, you know, she's got a good personality and hopefully she can come back. And, and, uh, the division needs people. So, uh, good honor. Yeah, the women's featherweight division, it's just lost Kat Zingano as well. So this is a division that, you know, we, we kind of look at as, you know, where the long-term future is, but at least Megan Anderson getting this victory and keeps her name as a potential contender within that division when it uh, kind of sorts itself out and kind of builds itself. It badly just needs bodies at this moment. Two bodies that walked into the cage uh, with no regard for one another. Brad uh Brad Riddell and Jamie Malarkey. They fought at 155 pounds, and this was the start of a uh of the city kickboxing run tonight because uh Rydell 
trains with Israel Adesanya and Dan Hooker, and he would get things off to a pretty great start here. This fight was insanity. Uh, Riddell at the beginning is landing these heavy kicks, and you can see the disparity in, in striking technique. Uh, Riddell finishing a lot of his combinations and then landing these left counters at the end. Then into the second round, it's, it's more of Riddell just lots of combinations, mounted malarkey at one point, threatened with a rear naked choke. And then we go into the third round and Riddell rocks him with this right hand and a left hook. They're trading these huge shots. Malarkey then rocks him with this left hand. It's his best strike of the fight. And he goes for this rear naked choke and Riddell is able to get out. He knocks out the mouthpiece with these huge strikes. Malarkey is eating more strikes. All of this without his mouthpiece, by the way. And he is exhausted. And Riddell is just destroying this guy. Uh, Malarkey has nothing left. But the fight goes the distance. Uh, I had this 30-26 for Riddell. And this this third round was just an unbelievable amount of damage that Jamie Malarkey was able to take. It sounds like it was a tremendous, tremendous fight, John. Oh, was this the one that you uh, you you unfortunately missed? Yes, the, I, my, the, the fight. This is a, this is just as a time that my guest was arriving, and so that it just it didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't even have any idea that it was that exciting at all until you just mentioned it. So I'm definitely gonna have to go back and watch that. Sorry, I mean, sorry, fans. If this doesn't get fight of the night, it was probably the second best fight of the night. I, I was interested in seeing Brad Riddell. I had heard about him. So the fact that he had such dominant performance is, is interesting. And uh, yeah, I will check it out. He, he looked good here. I mean, this is, um, you know, not, Jamie, Mal- Jamie Malarkey is a guy that's been fighting, you know, he's got 14 fights prior to this. Uh, so uh, a veteran. And I, I thought Riddell, like this was a dominant win for him. Judges had it 30, 26 twice and one having it 29, 27. But I thought, I thought Riddell clearly won all three rounds here. Then Callum Porter took on Mackie Patolo at 170 pounds. And this was another just insane fight because these two had absolutely no regard for blocking anything, for getting out of the way of anything. This was Two trucks just driving at one another head on for 15 minutes. Yeah, the the, the <laughs> it was uh, it, it was. I mean, at what point didn't they mention that like one of these guys was like a jujitsu like whiz? I'm like, really? No jujitsu. <laughs> no. <laughs> this was two guys saying, "I'm going to hit you, then you're going to hit me harder, and then I'm going to try and hit you harder than that." And I I cannot recall a time where I've just seen at this level, at a UFC level of two guys that just – these guys just pounded one another and it was unbelievable the strikes these two absorbed because it wasn't like they were getting knocked down either. Like they were were eating a lot here and this this, uh, this started in the first and it just continued and for Callan Porter – Callan Porter, it was his uh, left hooks that were – just devastating and were to me the difference in the in the first round that I gave it to him he also got this big slam takedown uh in the second they're talking about uh Patolo being the more technical one which was true but he would have a interesting relationship with his technique uh throughout this uh <laughs> Potter just unloaded on him with uh Patolo against the fence and then Patolo hit this right uppercut at the end and then took a counter in reverse and in the third Patolo gets reversed on a takedown and he's put into half guard. Uh, Porter, uh, 
Potter then mounts him and just continues from that position all round long. And Potter ends up winning this one 29-28 on all three judges' scorecards. Uh, the third round was a pretty dominant one for Potter. He was on top for the entire round, but this was, uh, they, they, the term rock'em sock'em robots, this was the exact embodiment when people say that term. This was it, this fight. Yeah, I mean, the heads were snapping back left, right, and center. I mean, both guys were rocked at multiple points. Uh, it looked like it could have been, it was on the verge of being over several times. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot like, of fun. This was fun. just insanity. I mean, it was, I, I just heard Edmund Tarverdian yelling, head movement, the entire fight. <laughs> <laughs> and he and and he's still yelling it because he still needs to see some. He did not see any in, in this fight, but I mean, Christ, I, it's like part of me can totally understand. Like this is the kind of fight that Dana White would just salivate over and love. And maybe uh-huh, this is, yeah. And by the time people are listening to this, they'll know what gets fight of the night. I I will. I I don't know if this to me is like my choice for fight of the night. Like it's just two guys that. I'm sure there was a game plan, but it didn't make its way into Marvel Stadium on on Saturday. Uh, no, there, no, there was no game plans here in this one. Um, they got into it. They now, were by this. Yes. Now, in regards to sort of Patolo being like technical and still not being the winner, he just sort of like you can't just rely on being technical. If if somebody is just in your face and just super aggressive, you can't just lay back. You kind of have to bring the fight to them a little bit and make it dirty, even though you are supposed to be the sharper guy. And I think that's kind of what happened here. Final prelim fight saw Jake Matthews, uh, now 25 years old. This guy's been in the UFC for a lengthy period of time, as you've seen this guy uh, grow, and now competing at welterweight in his last uh, four fights going into this. And he was coming off that loss to Anthony Rocco Martin. Um, but in this fight, he took on Rostam Akman, who was, uh, had just made his UFC debut back in June, losing a unanimous decision. This guy also had 15 amateur fights before going pro, which is a, uh, an incredible amount of amateur fights to have. Matthews was a big underdog, or sorry, a big favorite in this fight. And he won all three rounds. Very convincingly, uh, Achman had very little output, and it was Matthews, I think, just getting more comfortable. He had a very tentative approach in the first, just landing individual shots, not putting together combinations. In the second, you saw him uh, get a bit more rhythm, but there wasn't a whole lot of aggression here. But Matthews had a very safe game plan that was very effective. Like this guy, uh, Achman, he was... He was throwing, but he was landing so little. I think he landed five strikes in the first round, and that was – he had like single-digit uh, strikes in each round. Um, third round was Matthew's most dominant. He landed a knee to the body and then a right-hand follow-up, and he just picked away at him. Uh, they had the graphic come up. He was ahead 27-3 to in strikes in the third round, and – you know, you can, this wasn't the most exciting fight, but this was a, a clear 30-27 win for Jake Matthews. He was coming off of a loss and he noted afterwards he knew it wasn't the greatest fight in the world, but gets this win and improves to 15 and four. Yeah. Uh, you, you hit, you hit it on the head. It wasn't the most thrilling fight. He picked him apart. He used range and fought a smart fight. Um, Achman really didn't show much and he showed a lot of, like frustration in his body language throughout the fight when he would miss or just like 
And I think it just, it didn't, it doesn't do yourself any good when you fall into that sort of negative mindset. You kind of have to just keep your head down and keep going forward. And the writing was on the wall pretty early that he was just going to fall into this trap of getting, you know, hit on the outside by Matthews. What, what's your opinion on Jake Matthews? Like this is a guy that even, even at 25 years old, we have seen a lot of. Of Jake Matthews. He's been fighting in the UFC for over five years at this point. He started out as a lightweight. Now he's been uh, fighting at welterweight since 2017. Like, do you see uh, a higher ceiling for Jake Matthews? Have you seen improvements among him over his fights? Or do you think that he's largely going to settle into, you know, a role like kind of in the, the middle of the pack at 170 pounds? Or do you see more upside? I think there's still more upside potential. I mean, he's fought some very difficult opponents early in his career. I mean, losses to James Vick and Kevin Lee are nothing to, uh, you know, be upset about. Uh, and he has a, a pretty good win over Lee Jang Lang, who's looked very good recently. Um, so, uh, I, I definitely think there's more upside. I like, the idea of slowing it down on him a little bit. I mean, there was a time where he was sort of, you know, pegged as going to be potentially the ne next great thing. But uh, I think it was a disciplined performance from him. That's for sure. So um, uh, I, I do see more upside for him. Do I think he can t challenge for a title? I don't really see that skill set right now, but he is 25 Let's move him up the ranks. Let's try to get him some good opponents and see if he, maybe this time he can beat some of those top guys. Yeah, he's like, he's like an interesting case study because, it, as we've said, 25 years old, but he's already had 19 fights, 12 of them in the UFC. Like that's something you don't often see too much. And there was a time like I was – I was really, really high on Jake Matthews, and I'm still pretty optimistic that we haven't seen the best of him yet. Like, he he comes out sometimes with these performances, and you just see such a wide jump from uh, his last performance to another one, but then there's that step back, and you kind of, uh, you know, he got thrown in with, like, a lot of tough guys as well early, like, as you mentioned, James Vick, Kevin Lee. Those are big fights for someone that young into their career, but... Uh, That's true. And he has, you know, he had a win over Wagner Rocha earlier. He had a win. He has a win over Luke Jumo, who was also on this card. So, you know, am I am I thinking of Luke Jumo on this card? Was yeah. he on this card? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not crazy. There was even a. There was one person in this entire stadium that thought Luke Jumo won his fight. Actually, <laughs> just happened to be a judge with a pencil and a scorecard to turn in, which was <laughs> stunning. We'll get there. Uh, on to the pay per view we go. We started off with heavyweights. Uh, Jorgen DeCastro and Justin Taffa. Justin Taffa comes in, seasoned veteran, three and zero, making his UFC it. debut. So this was getting some uh, some local flavor onto the UFC 243 card uh, against DeCastro, uh, who won on the Contender Series back in June. So two guys making their official UFC debuts. Taffa stunned him right away with a with a left hand, but uh, DeCastro was able to absorb it and Taffa charged into him into this right hook. This was like shades of, uh, Ryan Bader and Leota Machida, but this was much more vicious because Taffa just went to sleep off of this right hook and he was out. This was a walk off knockout, two minutes and 10 seconds of the first round for Jorgen DeCastro. And this was a pretty impressive knockout for him. 
Oh yeah, it was it was a flatline knockout, walk off. Uh, definitely made a statement on you know, opening a pay per view with a knockout is always a good idea, and uh, always makes us feel good because you know we feel like the night's moving along fast. Um, but yeah, big uh. You know, pretty impressive knockout by DeCastro. But Tafa, like, I mean, you said it. He lunged in. Like, he, you could sort of see this punch coming from, like, you know, it's like you could check the bus schedule to find out when it would arrive. And, <laughs> and so, you know, he, he ate it. It's a good highlight, but uh, it doesn't really tell me much about uh, Jorgen DeCastro. Yeah, it's... It's also one thing when we've had a knockout this year, the caliber of Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren, that no matter what I see the rest of this year, I don't think anything's topping that from July. No, I mean, that is, I mean, it's got to be the greatest knockout in in MMA history, right? Like, the way it was all set up, I don't know. The, the I would, I, length of it as well, which was, yeah. uh, there's so so many factors. I mean, you... Like I think it's a shoe in for knockout of the year. I I can't imagine something topping that this year, but um, we will see. Luke Jumo versus Diego Lima up next at welterweight, and this was a fight that saw Diego Lima uh, with Bellator's Douglas Lima in his corner. Uh, Lima was attacking him with low leg kicks, and Jumo's leg was a mess by the first round. It was pretty uneventful for the first five minutes. Uh, the second round, Lima entered his guard at one point. There's more leg kicks. He was having success with it, so he just continued. And Jumo wasn't doing a whole lot to dissuade him from that strategy. And in the third, he just continued on. Uh, Jumo did land an uppercut, but then got a counter uh, for his efforts. So I thought this was a really easy fight to score. I apparently was wrong. Uh, how did you f- score this fight? <laughs> I scored... This fight, uh, 30-27 for Diego Lima. So, I, so you and I are part of an exclusive club called every single person watching this fight minus <laughs> at minus three, I should say, because all three judges had it 29-28 in one direction or the other. I, I thought this was a pretty – I guess you could argue around here or there. I, I couldn't though. I, I thought Lima – I was pretty comfortable giving Lima all three. I think the third is the one round because in that round, Lima was a little bit on the back foot. He was still definitely more effective in in my view, and I think he was aggressive at several moments in that round. But that that was the round where he was sort of circling, and he t- and he did take some shots. So I like you can make a case that he lost a round. You cannot make a case he lost two rounds. Yeah, it's, and I'm not going to get up in arms over the, you know, as long as the right guy wins, it's like, okay, someone someone saw a round differently. Um, Diego Lima does get the split decision win, but yes, there was one score for Jumo, 29-28, that everyone was scratching their head over uh, of how they arrived at that decision. And uh, Diego Lima gets his third win in a row following a knockout over Chad LaPreece, a split decision over Court McGee, and adding Luke Jumo to his list here. And the story of this one was the scorecards. Your main event, tied to Ivasa against uh, Sergey Spivak at heavyweight. And tied to Ivasa, this guy is, this guy has just mountains of charisma. He comes out. This place is going crazy for him. Uh, he is coming off some very difficult losses to Junior Dos Santos and Blagoy Ivanov, which are not 
losses to really hang your hat o- or hang your head over. Uh, but in this fight, Tuivasa comes out and he immediately leg kicks uh, Spivak and knocks him down with this leg kick. But Spivak gets up and it's like you could almost see the light go off right above him and say, you know what? I am not striking with this dude. I'm going to wrestle with him. And he proceeded to take him down one time, two times, three times, four times, five times in this round. And very uh, easily took back this round after getting uh, the leg kick to start it. Into the second, Spivak decided, you know what? That wrestling, it was very effective. I'm going to continue with this wrestling. He took him down again against the cage. The takedowns continue. He then worked a side control, mounted to Ivasa, cut him up with an elbow. Uh, the strikes are starting to pile up. And then he saw the arm triangle, got it, and submitted to Ivasa at 314 of the second round. Yeah, pretty impressive performance by Spivak. He was undersized certainly giving up a lot of weight he had to yeah, deal with the pounds. yeah he had to deal with these these bombs coming at him and maneuver himself out of the way you know he had to work for the takedowns early they were tough Tuvasa get, kept getting up or, but you know he kept at it and he kept getting easier and he got he wore on him wore on him wore on him until he was able to just uh, finish him with Taito Ivasa, I think this guy is such a great personality. He's a lot of fun to watch and a great guy to have on cards like this. And I thought, you know, his fight with uh, Blagoy Ivanov and even Dos Santos up until he was stopped. Like, you did see good performances out of him. And in this one, like, it's just there's a glaring, glaring hole in his game that when you're fighting at, at this level and against, you know, the, the Sergei Spivaks of the world to be... Um, that outclassed uh, in the wrestling department, it's it, it's only so far you can you can go like without shoring up that that big that big gap in your in your game because that was his undoing here. Yeah, I mean it's it's a glaring hole. Still an opportunity to put him. I mean because heavyweight is you know it's more of a you know it's less of a division where they're they're really fighting for the rankings. A lot of those fights are just sort of put on to just you know, see whose head can pop off first. So I think he, he's still viable to put in the right matchups with guys who are going to sit there and slug with them. He does have, you know, he does have skills on his, on the feet, but you have to be uh, well-rounded to really make a run at a belt. So Phil Chertok is booking Taito Ivasa, Jorgen DeCastro next. That, that's it. That's not bad. That's a good one. Why not? That's perfect. You're booking it. <laughs> there, we've put it out in the universe. <laughs> Ally Quinta, Dan Hooker. Um, man, I was so impressed with Dan Hooker in this fight. He had a tremendous strategy against a really tough lightweight in Ally Quinta, who was coming off that decision loss to Donald <laughs> Cerrone. Uh, meanwhile, Hooker, uh, who amazingly was fighting at featherweight at one point, since coming up to lightweight, he's five and one at the new weight. Uh, coming off a knockout win over James Vick in July and was the favorite in this fight. And Hooker, you could just see the, the, the size discrepancy here. Hooker was so much bigger than Iaquinta and he was attacking with, with leg kicks and Iaquinta shot in with a single leg and Hooker just blasted him with elbows to the side of the head and then mounted him, took the back and Iaquinta was able to get out, but he got outstruck 38 to eight by Hooker in this first round. Um, 
At one point, Daniel Cormier was uh, very proud of himself when Hooker took his back and got both hooks in, and he saw the play on words there. Iaquinta then landed two right hooks in the second, but then Hooker dropped him with a right hand, used more elbows on top with ground and pound, and into the third, Hooker wobbled him with an elbow, jabbed him uh, significantly, busting open his nose, kicked out the legs, and Hooker just cruised his way to a solid decision win here. 30-27 twice, 30-26, the judges had it, and Dan Hooker improves to 19-8, and and afterwards says, Dustin Poirier, I want you next. I will end you. I don't know if you could have, like, from start to finish, Dan Hooker, what a, what a tremendous performance, what a tremendous handling of the post-fight speech. I thought this guy was just, like, tremendous on this show. Yeah, his performance in the fight was really great. The way he was able to kick out uh, the uh, left leg of uh, Ally Quinta, it forced Iaquinta in- to change stances and fight <clears> – <throat> From the southpaw stance, and he just wasn't as effective from that stance. And any time he would try to switch back to orthodox, bam, Hooker was there with the shot for that calf. And there was just nothing he could do. And then in the grappling exchanges, which uh, Iaquinta is you know, very good at the grappling, it felt like Hooker was just sort of muscling him around. He was like shoving him into positions and just sort of just – just manhandling him in a few points. Uh, so everything in the cage was really great out of Dan Hooker. And then the post-fight speech, yeah, it was, it was a good performance in the call-out. I'm not sure I really – I mean, shoot your shot, but I don't really see I, Dustin I see Poirier taking next. fighting. I, I yeah. appreciate the attempt. Uh, yeah. Poirier did yeah. respond afterwards. He oh, said, really? He said, I'm fighting the Irishman next. Uh, oh. Pretty much saying – uh, I appreciate your attempt. You got to keep punching or something got like it. that. Okay. So, uh, Poirier is smart to be eyeing a big, big fight next coming off of, uh, of, of his loss to Nurmagomedov. But, uh, for Dan Hooker, I mean, for a guy that, dude, he was ranked 15th coming in at lightweight. I see him, uh, catapulted. Like, Iaquinta is ranked sixth. So I could certainly see Hooker definitely getting into the top 10 here and, Man, I would I would love to see a fight with him and God, who would you who would you see? I'm I'm looking here at the potentials and you know two of them with like Anthony Pettis and Kevin Lee. They've like moved up weight classes. Um, yeah, Kevin and Ke- opponent. So Kevin Lee's booked. He's fighting Gillespie, which is awesome. So and that's at 155. So Kevin Lee's technically still at 155. That's right. He went up to. He went up to welterweight in his last fight, right? Now he's that's right. yes, yeah, and he, yeah. So now he's with uh, TriStar, and that I guess is motivating him to try 155 again. Um, I like the idea of the Paul Felder match because that works really well. The only problem with that is um, that Felder is kind of at a point where he deserves a bigger number rank guy. Also, he's sort of. Grind deserved that after you know those that amazing fight with Edson Barbosa from a few weeks ago. But if they booked that fight, I, I would have no problem with it. Definitely a step up. Um, the question is like you know, and this yeah. is always the the trouble with matchmaking is that if you're a fan, you just you know throw out a fight like that. Like that would be great. 
Like, what is the incentive for the guy? Like, and that's why you give Ally Quinta credit here when a guy is ranked so high to take on a Dan Hooker who is not a big name, super dangerous opponent. Um, and like, there's very little reward versus the risk that you're putting. And that's why I look at someone like a Donald Cerrone that that's the would one. Yeah. 100% take that fight, but that's not a fight I'm, I'm dying to see, to be honest. I think, I think Dan Hooker runs through Donald Cerrone today. Well, well, that's okay. That, then that's, I mean, I can understand that you're not dying for that fight, but Dan Hooker needs a fight like that, right? To catapult himself into the, you know, the minds of the MMA audience. Like, yes, this was a big event and it was a good performance. He had a good fight with Edson Barbosa recently that he did lose, but, you know, Cowboy is an iconic fighter. So a match with him would be a quite likely a main event for some type of uh, fight night, and uh, it would be a perfect showcase for him. So I, I like that fight a lot. I guess, you know, you have Iaquinta who just lost to Cerrone. Uh, Cerrone is coming off his own loss. I mean, to me, I look at the options. Cerrone and Paul Felder would be the options that I see realistic for Dan Hooker next, unless there's some uh, left field choice that we're not thinking about. Um, I mean, Islam Makachev needs an opponent, but that's not the type of person I would want Dan Hooker to go against, right? Like, it's it's a Hooker should aim really high now. Like, he should be in a big position after this win over Iaquinta. Like, that to me is going backwards at this point. So okay, he's I think he's put himself in a really good position for a big fight at at lightweight next. And you you may be right, Cerrone may make the most sense out of all those options available. And then we go to the main event. First of all, Israel Adesanya's walkout, Phil. Mm-hmm. This thing was amazing. This this guy came out. I mean, this guy's been like the superstar that is just in waiting. And this was the anointing of him. But this walkout, oh, my God. He came out. This guy felt like this is their superstar. It, I mean, it was very impressive. I, I think you should describe what happened. I don't know if I can. He came okay. Out and there were th- three dancers with him that I guess are guys that have taught him how to dance. They were they were explaining, and one of the guys shares the same tattoo that uh, on his forearm that Adesanya has across his chest. And they come out and they huddle together, and then they go into this routine. And Adesanya is doing this giant like cartwheel in midair and just tearing the house down with this this walkout and everyone is losing their mind watching this like you could not choreograph a a cooler walkout for this guy who just if you watch the embedded this week or just ever see this guy like he is so good on his feet literally and figuratively and like I just see this guy as being this this breakout superstar, and tonight was like the last step before this guy's star explodes. The last starbender. Uh, there you go. Very nice. Um, yeah, the moves. It was yeah. He did the, the choreographed dance was really impressive. I will say it made me nervous because you were thinking I, of uh, Michelle Pereira from a few weeks ago. I wasn't, okay. but but was I that a people pointing that one out, thinking, oh, 
What if this guy gasses? I'm like, I think he'll be okay. So I was worried a little bit about him gassing. Not so much. Oh, I, I, I recall the fight you're talking about. Yeah. Not so much that because of the, the moves per se, more so like just from the energy of performing for a large group of people. Like if you're like, I don't know, like I remember when I was in high school or in university, I would do like theater, theatrical performances and you're just maybe just saying a, a word in front of a group, but all of your body is presenting that. And that is energy that's expended. And he gave a performance at the start of his walkout. But I guess for him, it's, you know, it's a form of relaxation for him. It wasn't that, you know, that's a, some people thrive in those moments and clearly he does. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy that I, I think that like it's, it's always a big quality when it comes to fans identifying big stars. And a lot of it that fans are attracted to is that confidence and seeing guys go into these pressure situations and thrive in those scenarios. I think that had a big part to do in Conor McGregor's rise was that look at the weight of the world this guy would put on his shoulders with all the shit he would talk and then go into these situations and pass with flying colors. And I think that uh there's a lot of that in Adesanya. Like this is a guy that, yeah, he's extremely cocky, but it's it's just supreme confidence in himself and he's passed another test here. Um he just came out, this place was first of all, they were very pro Robert Whitaker, who was born in New Zealand, but calls Sydney his home. And so that was, uh, that was the introductions here where Adesanya even took out an imaginary piece of paper and wrote this down and then pretended to put it in his back pocket as they were booing him, almost like he was remembering this moment where they all booed him. I mean, he, he's styling in the intro. He's styling in the walkout. He's styling all the time. Like, this guy is just something else. So Whitaker comes out of the gate, and it's a big, big electric feel in this stadium for this fight when this, when this finally begins. Whitaker is the aggressor, and he's coming at all these different angles, looking to throw off Adesanya, and he's throwing some kicks. Adesanya coming back with jabs, and it, it's a lot of, like, Adesanya just reacting and trying to figure out Whitaker's timing uh, throughout the round. But then in the closing seconds, Adesanya lands with a left hand that drops Whitaker right as the horn sounds and everyone just gasps at this. Robert Whitaker going down and he immediately just pops up and walks to his corner, but uh, a clear round for Israel Adesanya. And what did you think of the respective game plans after the first five minutes? I thought that it was pretty interesting what Robert Whitaker was doing. He was th he kept sort of charging forward with this lead straight left and he was trying to land that and then use that as an entry and throw some combinations off of that. And he would uh, he did land that shot um a few times. He was never really able to land the combination after, which is really where the damage was going to be. But it seemed like it was it was a pretty good strategy to get inside at first until Adesanya sort of really started to figure out the timing of it and really kept moving further and further away um, from those shots. Yeah, and that extended into the second round. Uh, Whitaker 
was jabbing at him, but continued to like charge in with strikes. And Adesanya was timing it to start to set up his counters. He starts using these right hook counters, uh, went for a head kick that partially landed. Then he was going to the body. And then the key sequence at the end, Adesanya eats a left hand, but in exchange, he lands a counter right. And then this bomb of a left hand that drops Whitaker. He goes down. Adesanya dives on top of him and stops him. 333 of the second round as Israel Adesanya is your undisputed UFC middleweight champion. A phenomenal performance and a clear-cut victory for Israel Adesanya. Just emphatic fashion here. And I I just thought – I I had a lot of a throwback to UFC 128 with this main event. And it's weird because – People look at Adesanya as kind of the the young up and comer, and Whitaker like the the veteran. And yet, it's Adesanya that is two years older than this guy. But this really drew me back to like Shogun and John Jones, where after this, it felt like this is the UFC's star for the next for the foreseeable future. And that was kind of his crowning moment, beating Shogun that night. And it felt like that was the same I felt here with Adesanya's win. Okay, I can see that. I don't quite feel that way. Um, I do. I mean, obviously, it was a tremendous victory. I mean, defeating Robert Whitaker, finishing Robert Whitaker, such a tough, durable champion. Incredible, incredible. Um, I just don't necessarily, like, at the time, I could see John Jones as being somebody who could be champion for a long time to come. Like, the way he dominated opponents was incredible. It's possible that Adesanya can be that way, but I don't necessarily see that yet. I mean, he has tremendous skills. Don't get me wrong, but I can see lots of challenges for him. Tough, tough fights. And um, maybe I'm being revisionist a little bit. Maybe I thought John Jones had more challengers than I'm recollecting, but I don't know. I, I remember that Shogun fight and thinking like, yeah, this is really a new era. Yeah, I... I don't know if Adesanya is going to be the, this, uh, this world beater that goes unbeaten for, for years. I, I, I don't see him at the, the same level that I think, uh, Jones was in 2011, but it did feel like this was a star making night for this guy who has been on the precipice of this for over a year now. I think everyone has seen like this guy has all the ingredients, but it all just came together in this moment with this signature victory. Over a guy in Robert Whitaker, who I'm not discounting either. Like, I think a lot of people saw Shogun's loss to Jones was kind of signaling, like, the decline of Shogun. I, like, as Robert Whitaker said in his post-fight speech, the guy's 28 years old. He assured he is not going anywhere. And this is a rematch that I could certainly see happening at, at some point down the road. That Robert Whitaker is, to me, not a guy that is a shop-worn fighter at all. That oh certainly uh- challenge for this title. If not, have another uh, run with this middleweight championship in his future that would not stun me in the least no absolutely not i mean he he's he proved that he was a worthy champion i mean he fought some of the toughest guys and uh yeah so i i fully expect him to continue beating top competition and like you said i would not surprise me at all uh to see him you know fight again for the title in regards to adesanya I think you nailed it it, in that it's a star making performance that he now you can take Adesanya anywhere. 
before you had Robert Whitaker, who I mean, I'm sure he could fight in Vegas and he obviously can fight in Australia. And, you know, he's going to draw it as being a UFC champion. But right now with Adesanya, you can put him in any city in the world, I think, and it's going to be a massive event. And and that's really exciting. And afterwards, I mean, Adesanya did this just awesome post-fight interview. Like this guy, he's just very, very entertaining when he's speaking and talking about how he has a mind like an elephant. He never forgets. I was in the nosebleeds. And now I gave him, I made his nose bleed, pointing the Whitaker. And then he called out Paulo Costa, who was in the front row, and ended up giving him a, a, a crotch chop. And, you know, he pretty much just called, like, this is my next fight. It's Paulo Costa. Um, there was, there was no, uh, we're, we'll see or any of that. Like, it, you were left with the clear direction of where this next middleweight championship fight would be, uh, contested between these two. Good. That's that's good. You know, you're new champion. Let's not rush to make some super fight, some silly super fight that everybody's going to regret soon. Fight the number one contender. He's really exciting. People want to see that fight. So yeah, call him out and uh, let's let's make it happen. So that's that's how the show ended uh, with Paulo Costa getting up and the crotch chop from Adesanya, and then they went off the air. Daniel Cormier shared this story about trying to get Adesanya to come train at AKA to prepare him for one of the fights with John Jones. I would imagine it was the second fight and Adesanya looked deeper into his camp and said, you know, you've got Luke Rockhold there and I can envision myself fighting him one day. And I just don't think that's a good idea to go train there. And Cormier was using this to explain like how this guy plots out everything. He is a guy that thinks out all of these different scenarios and, doesn't just do things spontaneously either. Like this is a guy that's very, very calculated. And, you know, it's been a very intriguing rise to watch for this guy who has only been in the UFC since February of 2018. And a year and a half later, he is middleweight champion and has had an extremely exhaustive schedule. Yes. And uh, just to go back to the post fight, uh, you neglected to mention his timely uh, call out of the Marvel picture, Marvel Studios organization. That's right. He said him and Marvel have to do something together. Yeah. He's, he calls himself the Deadpool of MMA, but I think that's a DC property. So, or is it Marvel? I don't know. I get them mixed up. Uh, no, that's DC, I believe. Okay. And if, I, and if we're wrong, we will certainly be corrected. <laughs> um, we do have the bonuses out here. So performance of the night bonuses went to Israel Adesanya and Jorgen DeCastro. Fight of the night, Phil, Brad Riddell versus Jamie Malarkey. Okay. So you can rest. You can sleep tonight, John. There you go. $50,000 each for uh, those individuals. So that was the card. I think this is a show that will ultimately be remembered for this main event. Um, a big stadium show for the company. And uh, – that is how UFC 243, I think, is going to be remembered. We went into this as like a one-fight show, and I think we kind of come out of it where all the talk will be 100% on the main event. Yes, and now we can set our sights forward to November the 4th. Is it the 4th? November, November? the 2nd. The 2nd, even must better. We be talking about the, uh, the fight between uh, 
Derek Lewis and Blagoy. <laughs> I've 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 been waiting for that. Let's let's quickly look at this card. This is uh, the next pay per view, UFC two forty four, November second, Madison Square Garden. This is the pay per view main card, which uh, uh, a stark difference to tonight's, I would say. Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz, Kelvin Gastelum versus Darren Till, Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker, which is a very important fight at 205 pounds, Stephen Thompson versus Vicente Luque, that I guarantee that fight is going to fly under the radar for most people going into that card, and then Derek Lewis, Blagoy Ivanov, and on the undercard, we've got Kevin Lee and Gregor Gillespie, which that's um that's that's a monster fight. fight. That's oh, a Gregor that... Gillespie is a monster at 155 pounds. If you have not seen this guy, um, Makwan Amerikani is on this show fighting Shane Burgos. Uh, this is going to be a great show. Andre Arlovsky's fighting on this show. This is a this is a pretty solid card that they have put together for next month. Yeah, uh, the I think this is going to be the biggest card of the year. I think that this is going to do better than the Habib fight. The interest level that I've like sort of heard from, I mean, you know, anecdotally, it's very high. People are very excited about this. This Nate, Nate Diaz is a megastar in this business. And this, uh, I think Moss uh, is going to be, by, I mean, yeah. When everything's said and done, I think he's going to be enormous he's, after this promotion. Like he's already at a certain level. I think it's going to be that much more after the next month of promo for this card. Yes. I mean, where, um, where Nate Diaz has sort of established himself and is sort of always going to be the superstar. Uh, Jorge Masvidal right now is in this like ultra hot mode where he's just like ascending, you know, and we don't even know what the apex is going to be for this guy, because if he can get a big win here, I mean, we know he's going to fight for a title. So, um, and it, it, Anyway, it's a really, really exciting fight. A lot of people are interested in it. I expect that it's going to be one of the crazier buildups that we've seen in a while. Okay. Last thing before I let you go, I'm going to run through okay. four, four fights that are going to happen over the next month, and I just want your prediction. Okay. Okay. What did we? I was gonna say, did we ever go back on the last time I did this? Because we shouldn't. Okay. We good. Never but hold your predictions. Let's just move. Only move forward. Okay. Next weekend, Joanna Janjacek versus Michelle Waterson. That also had a great promo on it tonight. Uh, I don't know if you caught this, where Michelle Waterson, she's doing like just a very reserved speech about you know herself and this challenge that awaits her but then she just gets into promo mode and says that i'm going to turn the lights on and expose the boogie woman that she's not real <laughs> and it was awesome uh i thought this was a great spot that they ran tonight for this uh this fight that's taking place in tampa next weekend tampa awesome yeah do you have a prediction uh, uh water yeah I'm going to go with Joanna. Joanna's got um she's definitely more experienced. Um and uh she's got a chance to I mean Joanna wins, they could slip her into a title fight. So, um I mean either of these women win and they can slip them into a title fight, but Joanna in particular, right? Because now that Rose is not the champ, so uh I could see that happening. Dominic Reyes versus Chris Weidman the following week in Boston. I just have a tough time picking Chris Weidman at this point, so I'm going to go with Dominic Reyes. Very tough fight for Chris Weidman, his first fight at light heavyweight. That same card, Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens. Let's go Lil He then. 
Let's go, little heathen. I, <laughs> I want I want Jeremy Stevens to win this fight. I, I'm not supposed to, I guess, say who I want to. And normally, I don't, you know, have a favorite. But yeah, you're irritated me so much with his post fight nonsense after the non fight happened. So I hope uh, I hope uh, Stevens can get it done. And the last one, I'm. I don't even have to ask you. I'm sure you are stoked for this fight. October 26th in Singapore, Ben Askren versus Damian Maya. Oh, I am very excited for that one. That that fight I was, was – when I first heard that Ben Askren was coming to the UFC, that was like the first fight that popped to mind that I wanted to see. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Ben Askren. Yeah. Uh, I mean – it's yeah. The thing is, he's gonna if he falls into Maya's trap, like he he's totally gonna play into it. I feel like, and and Maya just needs to get to the back, right? He doesn't necessarily need to pursue, uh, you know, the takedown so much if he can get to the back. So, um, I I am gonna go with Ben Askren though. I I think he he needs a win really bad, right? Like if he wants to actually make a run at that title. So I'm going to go with Funky. And the bonus one, are you going to be watching Brock Lesnar versus Cain Velasquez? Uh, they, they, they're, they've announced that they're going to have a match. It's, a, it's official. They have not announced it yet. It's expected oh, okay. to be taking place at the end of this month when they go to Saudi Arabia. That's, uh, that's where it's expected to take place. But okay. Any uh, unforeseen changes? Um, yeah, I probably will not, I almost certainly will not watch it live. Uh, maybe I'll see some clips. I mean, I did see clips of Kane making his debut in WWE this week. So I, I did check that out and I, I would be curious. I mean, it's, it's a, it's well? a lot of fun. Um, I thought so. Yeah. I mean, he didn't necessarily look the part of a pro wrestler, but maybe that's not the idea, but when he uh, started attacking Brock, it looked legit in the pro wrestling sense. And the crowd was definitely excited and everybody's enthusiastic. So I thought that the segment came off and he came off as a star. Um, but it was, he just sort of had like weird attire and like, it was like, I didn't really get it, but wrestling's like really theatrical. So well, there you go. The UFC 121 rematch nine years later. You think that they're gonna they're gonna give it to Brock, right? It's um, Brock's Brock's going over for sure. It depends. I mean, if he's if he's coming in, I mean, they could do a multi match program. They could they could come back with it for you know if if you're gonna do a rematch, say Royal Rumble, WrestleMania. Um, there's the argument that you could you could have Brock win and then Kane comes back where he's more seasoned or do that. Or conversely, Kane beats him, and it's just Brock wants his uh, his rematch uh, that you could build to as well. Third rematch. Well, second rematch, I guess. You'd almost think like Brock Brock winning, and then you could do what the, what the position is like the, the rubber match. Because Brock is also your champion now. So Kane winning would mean he's winning the title, which could be very tough to, to do right now. Okay. But wouldn't shock me. Oh, 
Okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I don't really have an opinion either way on this, but, you know, good for Kane Velasquez for getting this deal. You know, I'm sure it's lucrative for him. That's awesome. One of the uh, the people that you would have expected like two years ago to say, yeah, this guy is going to leave UFC, uh, to go to WWE. Yeah. I mean, it happened so fast, right? He had that, uh, event that he did a few months ago and, and like, wow, the world just sort of took off for him. Did so, you see any of his wrestling stuff? The, the two matches I, he's done? I, I didn't like, I saw him doing some maneuvers and they were super impressive. I didn't like sit through like the whole thing, but yeah, it was, it was really impressive. He, like he that this, great. he did great, you know? For, yeah. And yeah. And the, the feedback when people talk about it is they say he's an, like not just a natural, he's like a phenom. So, um, which is sort of like what I recall hearing about him before he was in the UFC. If, uh, in the MMA circles, you heard, you always heard about this guy, this guy in San Jose who's got like cardio for days and is going to beat everybody. And that was Kane. And, uh, now it looks like he's taking that to another arena. Could you imagine if after all this over the past year and it's WWE that can somehow put together Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Cormier <laughs> a year from now, which seems like the, the ultimate destination that it, it eventually happens. Do you think that they like make an AKA stable <laughs> with, with Javier Mendez coming into cup promos? Luke Rockhold Luke would. Just oh, you. No, you. Oh, yes, Luke would be great, but you know who the best would be. Do you have two other guys that you can add? Um, from AKA. Um, yes, they'd be great in pro wrestling, both of them. If you're gonna say Habib, I, I don't know if he would be. Who, no, who? it's not. It's not Habib. Phil Baroni. Phil's no, not but really with them anymore. No. Well, okay. So I am referring to legacy members. Oh, and, legacy members. And Phil Baroni already did he, I, what, he? He hasn't done wrestling. I'm sure he has. He's done, okay. He's done some stuff. Okay. All right. So am I giving you the answers? Are we done with the game? Koscheck. Yes, Josh Koscheck. Koscheck would have been great. Um, I wouldn't say John Fitch. Um, okay. So that would be my pick. You think John John Fitch? I think I think he'd be a really good heel. People would really just like wanted like you know, like you know, and and like you know, he could talk about like some conspiracy theories, blame everybody else for all of his shortcomings. There, there was a time when John Fitch. I mean, uh, not all that long. Like he's since gotten into become quite a personality, but there was a time like he was pretty pretty damn dry. And I we were doing our radio show. And this is when I was doing the radio show with uh, Mauro Ronaldo, and we would get guys to just, hey, this is so-and-so, you're listening to Fight Network Radio, and maybe they'd punch it up a little. And we were trying to get something out of John Fitch, and it was just like, can you just, you know, pretty much, you know, your name, you're listening to Fight Network Radio, and he's like, okay, uh, just go whenever. And he's like, not displaying the the most charisma in the world, but then all of a sudden, he's just like, this is John Fitch, bitch, and you're listening to Fight <laughs> Network Radio. And it just came out of nowhere. And it was like, where was that? Where was that in this prior interview? It just comes out of nowhere. He was letting you know how he felt about doing the promo. So <laughs> Maybe we were just underestimating uh, John Fitch. But there you go. It's uh, Phil's uh, AKA Stable. Yeah. I, 
Luke Rockhold, I actually, it, this won't mean anything to you, but Luke Rockhold coming in, first of all, he's got the look of Angelico and him doing like an Orange Cassidy gimmick would just be perfect. Um, so anyway, you can make up those names and then get back to the next month. <laughs> that's, that was a, a giant whoosh going over his head there. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show, but thank you. This was a fun one going through UFC 243. Phil and I will be back next month after the highly anticipated UFC 244 card from Madison Square Garden. Phil, as always, uh, it's always great to catch up with you, have you on the show, and I can't wait to hear – Five answers to my five questions later this week. I can't wait to answer five of your questions later this week. All right. Well, everyone have a great rest of your evening, rest of your weekend, and we'll speak with you later on this week.